0: Welcome to the Out of the Deep End podcast. Today's show: You are what you say you are. How language shapes your thinking. I am Dr. J.C. Burnham. Give me just a few minutes, and together we'll make a difference. Amy Adams in the film Arrival. Says or she discovers that thinking in a different language actually changes the way she thinks, and in the movie, it allows her to have visions of the past and the future. Now, it's a it's a fundamental part to understanding this movie, and um, not to be a big spoiler, right? Like, I'll, I'll I'll try not to give away the movie, but I will say that it is important in order to understand the underlying meaning of the movie is to understand that when she discovers how the alien language works, then she finally understands what it is that their purpose is. I think that's a good way to say it without giving away the end of the movie if you haven't seen it. I highly recommend it. Um, once you listen to this show, then you'll understand what they were the writers were trying to get at. And I think they do a pretty remarkable job. The Sapir-Whorf hypothesis says... Language doesn't just give people a way to express their thoughts. It may even determine their thoughts. Now, the idea behind this is when you think, how are you thinking? Like when you think, you're probably thinking in your native language. For me, I hear my voice in English, because English gives me the words, the the grammar, the construct in order to organize my thoughts. So the idea is if you don't have language, do you therefore no longer have thought? Or what happens if you have a, a bigger vocabulary versus what happens if you have a much smaller vocabulary? If we learned another language, how does that change our ability to understand to think? So the zapier Wharf hypothesis is it's kind of controversial, probably in my opinion, because there just isn't enough truth for it to be entirely warranted. But oh, let me let me rephrase that. There is enough truth for it to be warranted but not enough for it to be entirely confirmed. Now, why do I say that? Well, one of the controversy that rises out of it or one of the biggest examples that we use in order to try to demonstrate this uh, theory is when we talk about how we describe snow. Like, in the English language, how many words can you think of that describes snow. And I'll give you just a second. See how many you can think of. I think of powdery, slushy, crunchy, drifty, like drift-like snow, maybe even icy, hard, maybe crusty snow, but I that's stretching it. Now, I grew up I was born in Oklahoma, but I grew up mostly in Northern California, and then I lived for 22 years in Southern California. So I only saw snow. Very rarely did it fall from the sky. Even less rarely did it ever stick to the ground so that you could actually play in it and make a snowman. So, my understanding of snow has always been a destination. Now, moving back to Oklahoma and living in a place where it, it has snowed several times, quite deeply, right, richly, it changes the way that I, I view snow like the tires that I have to have and how even a four-wheel drive is useless on certain kind of snow when there's a lot of ice. It doesn't matter if you have four-wheel drive. If you can't grip something, you're not going anywhere. And since I live on a little bit of a hill, if I don't take the precautions to put out um, the salt and to make sure that that everything is ready for a big snow, I am not going anywhere. Like what happened to me last year when I was snowed in for three days, because the hill that I live on, that you access my house on, was just simply too slippery for me to get my even my four-wheel drive up and down safely. So the idea of is how do we describe snow? And if we If we look at the the literature, there's a lot of talk on the Inuit people um, who live up in Alaska, what we might colloquially call um, Eskimo people. Um, And it's said that they have 40 to 50 different words to describe snow because their experience of snow is so much more richer, and their survival depends upon their ability to understand what kind of snow there is. It said that Swedish have 25 words. And then there is a, a group of people that live in far north in, in both Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Russia that are traditionally fishers, trappers, reindeer herders. So they live in the snow a good portion of the year. And it said that they have 180 words to describe snow. Iceland has 46. But the winners... The language that has the most words for snow and totally blows all the other languages away, as far as I know, are the Scottish. There are 421 words in the Scottish language to describe snow. Now, again, the controversy, right? Well, how many of those are unique words, and how many of those are compounding words? Such as, if I were to describe um, an icy road, I might say th- there's black ice, or or I might say that it's you know it's slippery ice. Those are basically the same way of describing the same condition of ice. So maybe some of these are are the same way that they're using to describe the same type of snow. But we can imagine how rich their language must be when they're talking about snow, because as we know, just changing a word a little bit changes the nuance of our expression and of our meaning. So what does all this mean? Can we understand concepts for which we have no word? like? Does language shape our thinking? So if we don't have the word to describe something, are we not then able to think about it in the same way? Now, there are two camps, right? There are people that say yes, and then there are people that say no. The yes camp, they say, okay, even though we don't have the same word like the Inuit people might have for snow, it doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to understand it, and we can describe it in our own words. Like, For example, the Inuit people have a word, and I'm not going to pronounce this correctly in any way, so please don't. If you, if you know this word, please be kind. The word is muranic, and that is a word, muranic, that describes soft, very deep snow. So... I don't know this word, Muranic. And if I had heard, if I heard that, I wouldn't know what it's referring to. Right? So if I had to try to translate that into English, I might refer to my knowledge as a skier. And when we say there's fresh fallen snow, it's soft, it's deep, it's powdery. So for me, when I say fresh powder, My mind goes to a place that helps me to think, okay, I understand what that word might refer to. So the yes people say, even though we don't have that exact same word, we do have words that are good enough for us to then describe it in a way so that we can understand it. Now, the no side, they say, well, don't go so far because. Words aren't shaped by language. Thought is actually shaped by what society says that word means. It's not the language alone, but it's how we interpret that word. For example, if we think about commonly used words that are uh, like slang words, like hot versus cold, right? If I'm talking of temperature, it's quite easy. But what if I'm talking about a person? That person is cold. Well, are they shivering? Are they chilly? Or are they not a very nice, not a very likable person? Or if you see someone as a teacher for 22 years, right, I would hear the students, my students say all the time, oh, he or she is so hot. (laughs) Well, are they sweating? No, no, no. We know that that's not what they mean at all. All right, so the word itself is being change depending upon how we interpret the meaning of what is meant by that word. So society decides what a word means, not the word itself. So it doesn't necessarily matter if we have words or don't have words. What matters is how we extrapolate meaning from what is said. Now, it's complicated, isn't it? So the question is, can you change your thinking By changing your words, by adding words you didn't know, or what about deleting words from your vocabulary? And this is a a very current, very important topic because we have heard recently of people trying or saying, we need to just cancel, get rid of words altogether because they are ugly words and we don't need them. For example, in regards to racism, Can we remove the concept of racism by deleting all the words in the English language that describe racism? Now, there is some truth to this argument that if we can delete a word, maybe we can delete the idea. Paul Kay is a researcher, and with his colleagues, they did a very interesting experiment because they wanted to look at the English language versus another language that uses different words, maybe more words, maybe less words. Um, and in this case, they they went to a Uto Aztecan language of Mexico that does not have words that separate the colors blue and green. They have one word that describes blue and one word, the same word also describes green. So what they did in their experiment is they had colored chips that were blue some were green and then some were a mixture of both blue and green or maybe even more green than blue what well, we would say bluish green or greenish blue so what they would do is they would ask them to point to a certain uh, chip depending upon what they what they wanted so for the english people they would say point to the the uh, blue chip and then the english people would have no problem pointing to the blue chip or they would say point to the green chip and what was interesting is when they started asking them to point to something that was a, a mixture, such as the blue-green chip or the green-blue chip. English people would, of course, you know, choose to the one that they shall, thought were more uh, shaded blue or maybe more shaded green. But the uh, the Aztecan people, they would choose randomly. In other words, they had a hard time, you know, saying, well, this is the more blue than green chip, or this is the more green than blue chip. But does this mean that the speakers of this language could not see the difference? Well, probably not. Poets, writers try to describe the world in new ways. And when they do it really well, we actually marvel at their insight and their ability to show us something that we had not seen before. And we understand their description, even though we had never heard something described in that exact same way before. So we were talking about snow. And so now we're talking about writing about poetry. So let me share with you the first stanza of a poem by Christina Rossetti. It's, she says, In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood still hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter. So when I read this poem, I think, obviously, it's a well-known poem. She is a, a very good poet, and it helps us to understand a blizzard or a winter condition in a way that maybe we hadn't thought of before frosty wind made moan earth is hard as iron. The water is like a stone. She doesn't say I, she says it's like a stone and there's snow upon snow upon snow upon snow. And that is what is the bleak midwinter. So words allow us to share an understanding it allows us to share our experiences, and like Christina Rossetti, or um, uh, Shakespeare is very known for, for his terms, um, the beast with two backs, or the undiscovered country, ways of putting words together and describing a condition in a way that we had never had. So a spoken word is very powerful. It can trigger memories that bring back emotions. So when we hear someone else say a word, we can internalize that person's word, and then we can then have empathy. We can understand what they're going through. Maybe they're saying, I'm having such a hard day. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Well, when they use those words as exhausted, tired? We have all been exhausted, and we have all been tired, so that we can we can understand what they're going through, right? And even if we don't have the words to describe them, we can still we can still understand because we've been through that similar condition before. So this idea of canceling words, of uh, deleting a word from our vocabulary, it seems that all it really does is restricts our ability to discuss them. For good or bad, Deleting a word will not extinct the condition from which that word was derived, but it might make it harder for us to understand or to share our understanding of that existence. Cancelling words only seem to cancel our ability to describe something. And we need to be able to describe even the most horrendous realities such as racism, war, rape, genocide. I have a hard time understanding why we want to get rid of our ability to share understanding so that these things do not happen again. I say grow the richest vocabulary that you possibly can so that you may share as many experiences as you have with others. Mark Twain said, the difference between the almost right word and the right word is the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. And what a difference there is between the lightning bug and the lightning. So if we have a bigger... Um, vocabulary, a bigger lexicon, then maybe it will be easier for us to find the right word. And God bless the poets and the writers who are always finding ways for to describe the world and helping us to add to our vocabulary so that we can share that understanding. And one last final thought I want leave to leave you with is why don't we learn another language in America? Uh, we are a multicultural society, We have very many different languages here, but very few of us Native Americans that are born um, into a single language household, very few of us actually learn a second language. And I know people will say, well, we don't really need to. You can go anywhere in the world and you will always find someone who speaks English. And this is 100% true. But I can tell you from my own personal experience, My understanding of the English language entirely was magnified when I studied Russian and learned to speak Russian to the point that I could have a basic conversation. I understand grammar, I understood words that we shared, the the derivation of words, and then when I learned French well enough to go to Paris and live in Paris for a while, then I was able to get around, and my understanding of the world, I just felt entirely enriched. And that's what I think we really should be doing. Not only will it allow us to understand another culture and other people, but we are— adding words to which we can understand our own existence. And I am a big advocate of dual immersion. I have a friend um, who, her grandchildren, they go to a very special school where from day one, they start learning Chinese right along with um, learning English. So by the after three years in this school, they, she took her, um, her grandson to Chinatown, and the, the lady behind the counter just blinked and looked at her and said, whoa, you speak Chinese better than my own children speak Chinese. And I think what a remarkable gift that is to that child. And that child will grow up fluent in both English and fluent in Chinese. And just imagine how many doors uh, are being opened to them. So, looking back, the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis is controversial. Does language shape our thinking, and if we delete language, does it delete our our ability to think? Well, I will let you decide whether you think that that is true or not. But I hope that I have given you a couple different sides of the story and to help you to understand why it is such an important. Um, a concept for us right now. Should we be deleting words from our language? I personally think not, but maybe you disagree and that's perfectly fine. Uh, next time I want to talk a little bit more about the perception of language and also we'll talk about colors too and how do you remember that black and gold dress and why everyone was so you know, up in arms it's black or blue or it's white or gold. Well there are some some reasons that you know in retrospect that we say well this is what was happening but more importantly is how is your perception going to define your belief system and I think it is something for very important because every one of you who has gone through some kind of an illness some kind of a sickness I guarantee you that your perception of the world has changed and that's what we really want to get at on this show is helping us to change our own reality so that we can make it better so next time You are what you see, how perception changes your reality. Today's show, what you say you are. This is Dr. J.C. Burnham, and I hope you have a blessed day.